0: You can be seated this morning. All right, all you adventurous type. How many of you like to do experiments? Anybody experiments? How many of you like science class, biology? Yes, 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 doing experiments? How many of you have ever tried to put a frog in boiling water? Come on. You got one? Got one? Yes, one? Okay. So here's the scenario. Here's how the myth goes. Here's how the legend goes. Whether it's accurate or not, I don't care this morning. It's a great sermon illustration. So here's the deal. Supposedly, if you take a frog and you have boiling water going, and you were to put it near the boiling water, the frog will get very antsy and jump away from the boiling water. But Because how the frog is designed, how God created the frog, if you were to put it in room temperature on the stove in a pot of water and you would slowly turn up the heat on the frog, it would remain in the boiling pot until it boils to death. The frog, the way God designed it, adapts to the temperature that its setting is found in. What the frog does not know is that it is being boiled alive. Welcome to King Solomon's life. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, or 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 It's where we're going to be today. But we're going to take a look at a guy named King Solomon. And he is that frog. Some of you, how many of you now are going to try it at home, right? Some of you are going to go home, take a frog. Put it in the water. Some of you crazy, adventurous ones, don't be like my buddy in high school. He put it in the microwave until it exploded all over his microwave. Please don't do that. You may get in trouble. But King Solomon is that frog this morning, it is his life. He didn't realize the pressure cooker was increasing. Until his life led to destruction. So we're going to do this this morning. We're going to go through 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11 in 35 minutes. I've got 11 chapters to cover today. I'm going to try to do this quickly. And yet I want to hit some things about King Solomon's life that hopefully you and I will grab and take hold of. But let's pray as we begin. So Father, we come We ask that, Father, this morning you might speak, and that, Father, we would not only be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. That, Father, we would not be like King Solomon, with all of his splendor, all of his glory, all of the riches he accumulated, and yet his life was like a ticking time bomb, and destruction came his way. Father, you do not want destruction to come our way. You want the best for us. I believe that with all my heart. And I pray this morning, you might do your best work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's do this together. We're going to walk through, and here's what I want to do. Here's how I'm going to accomplish this this morning. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Bible in front of you, underneath your seat. You can grab one. If you got your device, go to your device, go to your U version, Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, whatever you're using. But I really want to encourage you guys this morning: grab a Bible, because as we walk through this, I want to show you uh, chapters that you hopefully this week will read. That's my hope. I'm hoping that this would not just be a 35-40 minute message. You walk out of here, you got what you wanted or maybe you didn't get what you wanted, you walk out, you go do your deal. My hope is this, as we go through this story, that you might read your Bible on your own this week, and you might take a look at these 11 chapters, and take a close look at King Solomon's life, and begin to ask the Lord, what about my life as well? So we're going to do this together. I'm going to walk through an overview, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to see King Solomon look like everything is going well on the outside. And for some of us, we're going to be like, I want King Solomon's life. But what you don't understand is something was going on deeper than the outside. Something was going on on the inside of this man. And he couldn't see it. You know what that's called? Self-deception. It plagues all of us. At some point in your life, you'll think everything is fine, you got life by the tail, you think things are going well, and what you don't realize is on the inside, something is not right. But you'll play it off because everything on the outside is going well. And Before you know it, you'll find yourself in King Solomon's shoes with destruction coming. Let's do this, First Kings chapter 1 and 2. You can read this on your own. Let me give you a synopsis of what's going on. You can write this down if you want. Just a note. Here's what's going on. David, King David, Solomon's dad is dying. Who was supposed to be king? Solomon. David had planned this, that Solomon would take over his kingship, but he didn't fully disclose that to the nation of Israel. He did it privately. And so guess what happens? Adonijah, one of David's other sons, gets in his head. Israel doesn't know that Solomon is supposed to be king. I like power. I want to rule. I'm David's son. So he raises a coup together, and they go against David and Solomon, chapters 1 and 2. Do you remember the prophet Nathan from last week? He's the one who addressed King, King David when King David slept with Bathsheba, got her pregnant. God sent Nathan, the prophet, his way to tell him a story and says, you the man, David, you're the one who's done this. Well, guess what Nathan's going to do now? Nathan catches wind of what Adonijah is doing, and here's what Nathan does. He goes to David on his deathbed, and he tells David, hey, David, your fourth son is rising up against Solomon. He's trying to take over the throne. we got to do something about this. So, in the midst of that, David is going to declare that King Solomon, or Solomon is now going to be king, chapters 1 and 2. David dies, Solomon is now king, he's in charge of the nation of Israel, chapter 3. I told you we're going to keep moving through this, we'll hit some things on the way back. The Lord comes to Solomon in a dream in chapter 3. And the Lord says this to Solomon. Hey, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want, anything that you request. Your wish is my command. Now, if you're 16 years old, how many 16, around 16 year old, how many teenagers we got in the room? Teenagers, come on, teenagers. All right. How many remember your teenage years? Yeah, thank you, Bob, you're a teenager. How many remember your teenagers, your teenage years? You're 16 years old, God comes to you and says, I'll give you whatever you want. You choose your decision. Teenagers, what are you choosing? Come on, we, it's church. We can be honest. Money. money. Thank you. How much money, Adam? Come on, give me a figure. A million. A million. Dad's got it. Let's go. <laughs> they can hand it over. What else are you asking for? I mean, teenagers have no ambition in life. I know it's Brown County, and we all just slowly do things, but let's go. What do you want? Xbox. Xbox. Thank you. Car. Hey, what kind of car? Come on, Jess, what kind of car do you want? 16? I know back in those days. Today, what, what do you want? A, su- a Subaru? <laughs> we are in Brown County. <laughs> Subaru. <laughs> Everybody, come on! What kind of car? Lamborghini. Thank you. Anybody else? Mustang. Okay. Cadillac. All right. What else you guys want? You got money. you Got car. Got an Xbox. What else? What else are you asking for? Housing. What kind of house. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. ground swimming pool? Yes? Guess what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. Huh? Solomon, you can have anything you want from God and you ask for wisdom? Like, I want to make wise choices. And God does what? He goes, ah, Solomon, good answer. I'm going to give you wisdom like no one has ever seen on the planet before. And David, because your heart is for wisdom, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you the Lamborghini, the house with the pool, the million bucks. I million mean, was shortchanged for Solomon. Do you realize Solomon became the wealthiest man ever to live? He makes some of our billionaires look like fools. The man had everything. Chapter three. Keep going. Chapter four. Things are going so well for Solomon that other countries are coming and they're paying tributes to him and to Israel. Others' countries catch wind of how Wise and how wealthy Solomon is. And they come and they're like, We want to be with you, Solomon. We want to form alliances with you. We will pay tributes of gold and other precious metal to you so we can pay tribute to how wise and how wealthy and how strong you really are, Solomon. By the end of chapter 4, we see that Solomon has so much wisdom, he writes, Over 3,000 proverbs, wise sayings. And he's written over 1,005 songs. I looked it up this week. Who's written the most albums? Grateful Dead was on there, on the list. All the old folks in here, Grateful Dead was on the list. But one caught my attention, his name is Buckethead. Anybody ever heard of Buckethead. Yes, we got a guitar player. That's why. Buckethead is a guitar player who wears a KFC bucket on his head while he plays. And no one knows it. It's exactly right. No one knows his real name. The guy has written, ready for this? At the moment, he's written 302 albums. 2017, he wrote 35 albums in 2017 alone. Anybody else floored by that? Like, how do you have time for all that? Solomon competes with Bughead. Solomon is writing proverbs and songs like crazy. You want to go to him? Go to the book of Proverbs this week. The book of Proverbs written by Solomon. They are a collection of his wise sayings. Ecclesiastes is debated. But most think that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes as well. Read that this week. Everything is meaningless. It's sort of a downer, and yet it sort of gets you on the up as well, that everything is meaningless unless God's behind it and God's in it. By chapter 5 and 6, Solomon fulfills God's vision That would be Solomon, not his dad David, who would build a temple for the Lord. And this temple that he builds exceeds your wildest imagination. God was in a tent before, and now he has a home and a temple. And in the Holy of Holies, where they would put the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence would reside, he doubles the square footage from before, and there is gold everywhere. Everywhere. so David builds this temple where God's presence will reside. And then if it's not enough, then he builds himself a palace in chapter 7. The palace was the Taj Mahal of the Israelite community. In fact, during this time, unemployment rates hit the lowest mark in history. Do you realize to build the temple and then his palace that he had over 90,000 workers. And what they would do is this, you would work for a month and then you get two months off. So they would come in 30,000 segments of men who would come in and they would work on the temple and then his palace and then they would take two months off to rest because this place was so extravagant. So Solomon has things looking up. First Kings chapter seven, you'll see the palace You'll see the impressive house. By chapter 10, things are going so well. If you flip over to chapter 10, you'll see it in in your Bible. You'll see the headline, Queen of Sheba visits Solomon. She travels up from modern-day Yemen, south of Saudi Arabia. She's heard about Solomon, and she is quite impressive herself. And so she travels up with her caravan to see what God is doing in Israel. And when she meets Solomon, she praises Solomon, not only for his wealth, but his wisdom. She is floored by how wise Solomon really is. And by the time we get to chapter 10, you're thinking to yourself, man, Solomon's got it all. Solomon's not only having a good day, he's having a good season of life. And I mean years and you read it, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I wish I could be like Solomon. I wish I could have a season of years where it feels like I'm just being prosperous, where things are going well, where I'm getting wealthy and I'm getting fame and I'm getting honor. I got life by the tail. And so on the outside, things seem to be going well, but chapter 11 hits. Go with me to chapter 11. Let's reside there. Let me read the first four verses. First Kings. 11 King Solomon, however uh-oh, there's a word we don't like. It felt like everything was going well. however, he loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. We'll get into that here in a moment. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their false gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Ready? He had 700 Wives of royal birth. And all the men in the room looked, I can't figure out one. Much less 700. And 300 concubines, lovers. Whenever he wanted them to the bedroom, he summoned them and they came. Anybody catching this? and his wives did what? Led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. What seemed like everything was going well on the outside, on the inside something was happening. You don't get yourself into a predicament In one moment. Typically, the way we end in disaster is little moments by little moments by little moments. It is the subtleties of decision making. It is the slow fade of life. That we begin to make decisions that are poor, poor over and over and over again until they culminate into a huge disaster. This is Solomon's life. As you go through, you're thinking, Solomon, you're really doing well, but there are little hints in Scripture, and I love the writer of 1 Kings. He has given you all these little subtle hints that we're going to take a look at that shifted King Solomon's heart away from the Lord his God and to all these other foreign gods. And some of you in the room are going to be like, well, we don't, we, we, uh, we don't have a cow I worship around here. I don't know who these Hittites and Amorites and all these ites are. I don't know their gods. Do you realize they had a god of sex? Do you realize they had a god of fame and fortune? sound like america and they are leading our hearts astray and subtly a small micro shift happens in our hearts that we don't even realize because we are so self-deceived of what's really going on in the inside of us that we give our hearts away to other gods this is king solomon's life Let's look at it, Deuteronomy 17. Go backwards in your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. This is written to the kings of Israel. What a is Solomon? He's a king. This is written to him. And we're gonna see, actually, I didn't put up verse 18 that it says this, that you are to have someone repeat the law of the Lord to the king over and over and over and over and over again. So King Solomon knows Deuteronomy chapter 17. He knows this passage. He knows what it says. He knows the depths of it. But honestly, his heart doesn't care anymore. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. That sounds stupid. Why horses? Anybody thought that? Like, what's up with horses? Or make the people return to where? If you've been with us during the story, the Israelites were in captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. It was awful. And God delivered them out of Egypt and led them through the desert into a promised land. And Egypt, if you remember, we talked about Egypt represents sin, captivity, slaves to sin. We talked about that. He says, don't go back to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. Jesus said this way, put your hands in the plow and don't look back. Why? Because when you look back, I've told you this, sin is fun. Some of you are looking, we shouldn't tell our young people that. They're figuring it out. Sin seems fun, but it always what? Leads to death. Always. And he's saying don't go back, Though you're going back into death and you don't even realize it. He He must not take What? Many wives. by see First Kings 11. We have a small problem. How many wives? 700, 300 concubines. Or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. Small problem. Let's go. We're going to walk through this together. I'm going to show you four steps of how King Solomon's heart got led astray. I'm praying that our hearts will be open toward this. This morning, some of you are going to be like, whatever, Chris. I'm telling you right now, because I've been a pastor long enough to know this, some of your hearts are being led astray right now in this moment, and I will not see you in a year. You will veg on the couch on Sunday morning. You will lead life the way you think you need to lead life. And at some point, you will wake up and go, what happened to my relationship with God? Why does God feel so distant? Four things. Ready? Let's do this together. First Kings 3, where he has all this wisdom. The first three verses, though, have a problem. Ready? Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of. Uh oh! Anybody see it right now? Don't go back there. Don't go back there, man. Kings are not to go back to Egypt. He forms an alliance with Pharaoh the king and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David, Jerusalem, until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The people out of were still sacrificing at the high places. We'll explain that here in a second. Because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. Except. Underline that. Highlight that. Do something with that. Except he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. First step. You start fudging on God's commands. Is fudging an old man's term? I, I thought about that. I was wrestling with that term. Some of the young people are like, what does it mean to fudge? It means you don't fully obey God's commands. You do a little bit, but you start to what? Divert from them. He does this in two ways. He goes back to Egypt. He went back to Egypt. Now, here's the technicality of this passage. He went back to Egypt and he forms an alliance with Pharaoh and he gets his daughter in marriage, but notice he did not acquire horses. And I'm thinking in King Solomon's mind, he's thinking, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, God told us not to go back to Egypt, but I didn't technically go back to Egypt. I didn't send any of my servants. In fact, we met up somewhere in between Pharaoh and, and I did, and we came to an agreement. I didn't fully go into the nation of Egypt. We met somewhere in between. We formed an alliance. I got his daughter. I didn't even go down to Egypt to get her. They just brought her to me. Not a big deal. The problem with this is this. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is another list. You can write this down, Deuteronomy 7. Look it up this week. We read it later in 1 Kings 11. There is a list of people not to intermarry with for the Israelites. Did you know the Egyptians were not on that list? And I'm thinking of King Solomon's mind. He's thinking, it's not a big deal. I didn't get horses, and I did not intermarry the list in Deuteronomy 7. I'm good. The problem is this. King Solomon looked for a loophole in the law. How do I get around the law to do what I want to do to accomplish what I want to accomplish? How do I have a loophole in the commands of God? Technically, Solomon in this moment is correct. But here's the thing about God's Word we want to know the do's and the don'ts. Why? Because it's easier to live that way. What we don't want is the spirit of the law to come into our lives. Let me explain. Jesus said it this way. or Ten Commandments say this. Do not commit adultery. And some of you are in the room. I've never slept with anybody but my spouse. I mean, adultery is pretty easy, right? You wake up and there's somebody next to you that's not your wife or your husband. Jesus, though in Matthew 5, he begins to talk about this. He says, if you... Look at a woman lustfully. You have committed adultery. Uh Uh-oh. Because Jesus wasn't just concerned with the technicality of do not commit adultery. He was concerned about the what? The spirit of the law. The spirit was this, that when you look at someone who's not your spouse in a lustful way, you have committed adultery inside of your heart. Do not murder. I I dare, if you've murdered somebody in the room, we're glad that you're here. Somebody's probably going to move over a little bit beside you. And most of us in the room are like, I've never murdered anybody. I'm good. Jesus said this way in the Sermon on the Mount. If you hate your brother or sister, you have committed murder. (gasps) What? What? How could that be? Because Jesus doesn't look at the technicality of the law, he looks at the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law was not to intermarry with foreign ladies. Guess what an Egyptian is? A foreign lady. But King Solomon is looking for loopholes. We look for loopholes. Parable of the Good Samaritan. The religious leader is like, Who exactly is my neighbor? you see the loophole? Well, who's the neighbor? And for some of us, we have that mentality. They have burned me. They hurt me. And Jesus commanded me to love them? Well, Jesus, technically, who is my neighbor? How close in proximity do they have to be to be my neighbor? My fun, fun one as a pastor. Ephesians says this, Do not get drunk on wine, but get drunk on the Holy Spirit. I've had this question in time. Hey, pastor, is it okay for me to drink alcohol? Sure. And please don't do the whole thing, well, in the Bible, the wine was like grape juice. Bull hockey. Noah? Noah? Anybody remember Noah? Got off the boat, drank a little grape juice, and passed out. How do you get passed out on grape juice? Their wine had alcohol in it. Yet I get this question a lot. So when am I technically drunk? (laughs) If you got to ask that question, I'm going to guess you got drunk lately. But see, we're going to look for a loophole. You know that you went too far with the alcohol, and yet you're going to look for a loophole. Well, drunkenness for me is actually when I get to this level, but for them, maybe it's that level. You're looking for a loophole because you know you've sinned. For some of us, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only, only that for which is what building others up. Well, she deserved it. She talked bad about me first. So Jesus, if they talk bad about me first, can I just come back and you know eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? Let's do this. And that biblical, Chris, that eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Can we do that? We look for loopholes, guys, and this is what King Solomon's doing. He's looking for loopholes. Some of you right now in your lives, let's just be honest, you're looking for loopholes with God. You know the direction that you are heading is the wrong direction. You know what you're doing in your life is wrong, and yet you will look for a loophole to get out of it. The second thing he does is this. He takes shortcuts over sacrifice. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy is, you know, this law-based book, and it's given instructions for the Israelites. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it gives instructions about where they are to bring their sacrifices and burnt offerings. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it commands specifically not to take them to the high places, but to take them where the Lord has designated for them. And in verse two and three in first kings three we see this the people however, however were still sacrificing the high place that would be these high places in mountaintop areas that the pagan gods would be worshiped at and so you would take your animal but listen to this in those times i know this is going to be harsh but in those times you know what you sacrifice a lot of times your kids Because the pagan god said, I need the best from you in order to hear you. And so people said, my best is my firstborn. He is my, my son. And so I will take him up to the high place. I will put him on the altar and I will split him in two and say, now do you hear me, God? And if the Baal gods didn't hear you and send what you wanted, guess what you did? You grabbed your daughter and you took her up to the high place and you sacrificed your daughter on the high place. And God said, that's a stench in my nostrils. That's disgusting what you're doing with your kids. And so God's saying here, don't take your sacrifice to the high place. Take it to where the Lord has designated. But the people did what? They went to the high places where other pagan gods were being worshipped, and they would make their sacrifices there. And here's what I would tell you. To take your sacrifice to the temple or to actually to Jerusalem to the tent of meeting. It required a longer walk to the high places. And so it's easier for us just to take them to high places. And this is us. We like shortcuts, don't we, guys? We like shortcuts with God. And God goes, I'm not a God of shortcuts. I will have all of you or none of you. Your choice. Jesus said this way: in order to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Does that sound easy? Anybody in the room? Please. You know how hard it is to deny what Chris wants and to crucify my desires that burn within. And then to leave everything and follow Jesus. That's hard. Welcome to being a follower of Jesus. But we we want, guys, is we want easy Jesus. We want comfortable Jesus. We want Jesus, don't demand so much of me. And Jesus goes, I'm not that God. I'm a God who actually gave all of myself to you. I will what? I will ask for all of you in return. First thing. We fudge on God's commands. Second thing. We listen to the wrong people. First Kings 3 1. Who does King Solomon form an alliance with? Pharaoh, King of Egypt. And who does he marry? His daughter. Guess what that just did? For Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter, they now have King Solomon's ears. And it is a grave mistake by King Solomon. Because Pharaoh in Egypt does not follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Pharaoh does things different than the kingdom of God. You don't believe me? Look at the subtlety in this. I never picked up on it till this week and it hit me. I saw it and I went, wow. It's subtle. 1 Kings 4, verse 6. Adoniram, son of Abda, he was put in charge of what? Forced labor. Slaves. What's the big deal in that, Chris? Listen. In Egypt, what were the Israelites? Slaves. Forced labor. God releases them from Egypt, says don't go back, don't be like them. But First Kings 4, 6 says they place somebody and charge of the slaves. Where did King Solomon get that idea? Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter. Hey, honey, you know, I've been looking around the kingdom and, you know, things are tough around here. There's a lot of work to do. You know what, honey, I think it'd be wise to, like dad does it, to maybe put some people into forced slavery and let them do all the work. Oh, honey, you think that's a good idea, honey? Oh, I think it's a great idea. Okay, honey, let's do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some forced labors. Did God command... King Solomon to have forced labors. No. Not at all. But someone has his ear. Look at this in verse 26 as you read down. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. Anybody catching it? Come on. Anybody catching from Deuteronomy chapter 17? Do not accumulate horses. By the time we get to First Kings chapter 10 verse 28... Let's look at it. Here we go. I think it's up on the next slide. I think it's coming. Boom. Solomon's horses were imported from, Uh uh-oh, problem, Who's got his ears? Hey, honey, you know, we have horses down in Egypt like nobody else in the world. We got horses galore. Honey, why don't you go down to dad and why don't you tell him, get some horses for yourself because Solomon, you deserve it. I deserve it. We deserve it. We are wealthy. We are wise. We are the bomb. Let's do this. Subtlety. Someone had his ears. Can I tell you, Most people who have gone astray got in with the wrong crowd. Young people, you will tune me out. You will tune your parents out, but they are wise. They know it. They've been through it. Who has your ears? Some of you are with the wrong crowd right now. and you are disobeying God, because somebody besides God has your ears. His voice has been tuned out, and their voices have been tuned in. Can I ask you a question? Seriously, do you really believe that God is for you and not against you? If you really believe that God is for you and not against you, then please listen to him. His words are wise. His words are life. His words are true. Who has your ears? The third thing. You begin to focus on yourself more than God. You begin to focus on yourself more than God. You remember that temple that Solomon built? Do you remember it? Yes? Unbelievable temple. Notice this. Subtlety. I'm telling you, when you read scripture, there's some subtleties here. Catch it. 1 Kings 638, in the 11th year in the month of Buhl, the 8th month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. Solomon had spent seven years building it. Somebody underline that? Highlight. Seven years building it. Woo! Man, Solomon, you took a long time. You must have really went to work on that thing and took care of all the details. Then there's chapter seven, verse one. Next verse, it took Solomon thirteen years, however, to complete the construction of what? Uh-oh, problem. How many years for the temple? Seven. How many for his own palace? Thirteen years. Who does it care more about? And for some of us, the subtlety is this: your shift of focus will go from God to yourself and to your own wants and pleasures. Guys, as a pastor, I've watched people train wreck their lives over and over and over again. I've had story after story of people telling me, "Man, I was on the straight and narrow." and my life got train wrecked. I've watched quite a few Christians who started out so well in the race, but crashed and burned in time. I have watched many of my friends. I was just singing this morning, and I was praying for some of my former youth group kids. In Indiana, I've got kids who I remember the day that they put their faith in Jesus. I remember the day when we baptized them, and I now know where they are. Their hearts have been led astray. They are so far from God. And honestly, my heart just breaks. And my eyes weep over those kids. And for some of you in this room, here's what's happening. And you don't even realize the focus has shifted from God and all that he is to yourself, and you don't even see it. But there are little signs and little hints, and you're going to need some people in your life to actually come to you and say, I am worried about you. I see these signs in your life that God is being put to the back burner and yourself and your desires and your wants are putting to the front burner, and I am worried about you. Please, I beg you, please, when a friend does that, do not tune them out. Wounds from a friend are to be trusted, is what Solomon actually wrote in the Proverbs. When you have a friend who comes to you and says, I am worried about you, I'm worried about the direction of your life, don't tune them out. Listen to them. They are a friend who cares about you. But I've watched it over and over. The focus shifts from God to ourselves. The fourth and final thing that we see is will you heed God's warnings? 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully, Solomon, with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command, and observe my decrees and my laws, I will establish a royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve all the other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel then become a byword, and an object of ridicule among all the peoples. This is the second time God has come to Solomon. Second time, and he has issued warnings both times. That's chapter 9. By the time we get to chapter 11, what does he do? He grabs all the wives he can. He grabs all the horses he can. He grabs all these things that are not of God that he can. And God came and warned him. Can I tell you this? When God comes and warns you, it is an act of love. It is an act of grace. He wants the best for your life. He does not want your life to be in destruction. He hates to see it. He hates it. He loves his kids. And so when he comes to you, he gives you a stern warning, whether it be from a friend, whether it be, and I keep trying to say this, guys, Nathan is actually your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4 says this is what? A double-edged sword, and it cuts the body. It cuts to the very marrow of your bone. It cuts to the very depths of you. It will show you things about yourself that you did not know were there. The Bible will do that. The question is, are you in it? Are you reading it? And are you observing for yourself as a mirror? What is going on? Or do you just skim through it? For some of you are wandering, and one of the things I will say to you is, I bet you have stopped reading your Bible. And I bet you've stopped doing the introspective where saying, what does this have to do with me? And God is saying, I'm giving you warnings. I'm giving you warnings. The warning light is on. The check engine light is on. But you just keep trying to drive. You keep trying to drive. But you're about out of oil and the engine is about to blow. But you think you're going to be okay. You think you can make it to the next service station. And he's saying, stop where you are. Get on your face before me. And turn from the way you're going and turn the other direction. Please call the tow truck because I am the best tow truck in service. I love to help people. God wants to do that in your life this morning. The warning light's going off. Will you heed his warnings? God is gracious in this. God is good in this. And there is good news for us this morning. Hebrews chapter three. I came to this. And here's my prayer as we close out. Hey, see to it, brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Come on, read it. Brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Followers of Jesus. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, none of you, none of you, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Some of you in this room are turning the other way. Your faith is crumbling right now. But encourage one another. You know what churches? Is? Church is not singing. Church is not a sermon. Church is not just taking communion, it is community. I will say it till I'm blue in the face. Some of you come to church, but you're not plugged in. Get plugged into a church. Get bit plugged into a people. Because if you're not, we can't encourage you the way that we need to encourage you. And you can't encourage me the way you need I need encouragement, guys. It's been a hard two weeks. I need some encouragement. And by the grace of God, God sent me Julie Kelly the other day and Susan Bell the other day and a text thread. And I sat there and wept. And I said, God, thank you for friends. Thank you for people who encourage me. Thank you for people who will say, hey, how you doing? How you really doing? Don't give me the BS about life. Give me the real truth. How you doing? And he says, but encourage one another daily, 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 daily. I catch that? Not once a week, not once a month, not once a year. We encourage each other daily. As long as the called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There it is. We have come to share in Christ. That's the awesome news, the gospel. If indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end, will you hold firmly to Christ till the end? And as just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's not that big of a deal, God. This is a waste of my time. Blah, 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 blah. As you did in the rebellion, God is saying this. Get your heart sensitive to him. Get your heart soft so that I can shape it the way I want to shape it because the way I shape it is the best. It's a new way to be human. It's like Jesus. Will you today soften your heart to the Lord or will you still be hard toward him? If it's cold today, you're breathing, you're living. There's great news for you. It's not too late. so as we come to King Solomon's life, what started so well ended in some disaster. How about you? How about you? Hey, we're going to come to a time right now, we're going to sing, but we're just going to open up the altar for you, open up the front stage. And maybe your heart is turned away from the Lord, away from the living God. Because we'd love to encourage you this morning. We'd love to walk with you, we'd love to pray with you, we'd love to just speak into you, we'd love to do that. And come forward if you want to sit in your seat and you just need time of reflection. Sit in your seat. Just have time of reflection. Ask the Lord, Lord, where am I wandering from you? Where am I going away from you? What's happening? Who am I listening to? Who are my friends? Am I are they feeding me bull or are they feeding me truth? What are they feeding me? Maybe you just need to stand and sing and make this your prayer today. But let's do this together. Let's pray and the man will come up and lead us. Rick will be down front here. I'll be down front over here. If you want to pray with us, just tap us on the shoulder. If you want to pray on your own, just pray on your own. But let's do this together. Father, we come to you right now. Father, we love your heart. Your heart is for us, not against us. Your heart wants your kids back. Your heart does not want your kids to wander from you. Help us to Heed the warnings from Solomon's life. That we might be a people who pursue you with everything that we have. That the arrogance and the pride in our hearts would be pushed away. And that Lord, in, in place of that, that there will be selflessness and there will be Christ-honoring sacrifice inside of each one of us. So, Father, in this moment, I ask that you would speak clearly. these people to me to each one of us show us where we are putting up false gods in front of you show us where we are running away from you and show us yourself that father you are the prodigal god who welcomes the prodigal son home you have your arms open wide for us even this morning jesus we need you We ask that you would do your work inside of us through your spirit. And we ask that, Lord, we'd be a people who pursue and follow you with everything that we have. That we'd lay ourselves down for you because you laid yourself down for us. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.